Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen and listeners, buckle up. Get ready. We're about to turn on the ignition of this episode looking at women and cars. And we've got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, we have a lot, lot of miles to go. Yeah. We're going to talk about women, cars, driving, stereotypes, the Industrial Revolution, Emily Post. Yeah, I mean, that's like, this is, get ready, this is going to be a three-hour podcast. Are you ready? <laughs> right. You need to get some snacks. <laughs> For sure. And maybe, maybe do listen in your car. Yeah. I hope you are. On a long road trip. Very long. Yes. Okay. Well, let's start off, Caroline. Yeah. Well, so, you know, we have a lot of stereotypes about women and driving and women drivers. And I feel like we don't have to educate you on those. We don't have to spend any time talking about what those stereotypes are. But it is interesting to see that so many of them stem from the Industrial Revolution. (laughs) Yeah, they really started off pretty soon after cars first hit the consumer market. Because once we have the industrial revolution, we have, you know, work moving outside of the home and the emergence of men and women's separate spheres. Right. And so work is where men go to be manly and make money. And home is where women stay to protect the morality and comfort of the rest of the family. But helping this move outside of the home, though, were advances in transportation technology in the second half of the 18th century. So you've got horses and buggies moving to carts and, you know, train cars and things like that. And then, of course, you get the automobile. Yeah. And so you have people, mostly men with above average incomes, who are enabled, thanks to these old school cars, to work farther from home. And work and home, though, had very different Values and this idea of, you know, the separate spheres. They should be separate, giving, you know, the aggressiveness of the man's world, like preventing it from infiltrating the, the more peaceful, moralistic woman's world because you want to keep the home a more sacred, feminine space for the child rearing, really. Right. And so then you have automobiles uh, basically fostering the rise of suburban areas, suburbs. So that's an even clearer demarcation because you're literally separating the home and the workplace geographically more so than ever before. And if we're looking at the era before 1910, which is interesting, society women, if we're looking just at like the upper crust of society, society women drove for recreation just as freely as their wealthy male counterparts did. They were actually called, and Kristen, correct me, Show, chauffeuses? I believe it's chauffeuses. It's the, the feminine of chauffeur. So, and it's such a fun fact. I love it. Uh, these wealthy women who were tootling around in their old jalopies were called chauffeuses. But their social roles were evident in their driving patterns. Uh, these women tended to drive downtown, uh, more rarely than men. And they typically stayed within their suburban communities and tended to simply drive to social events, shops, and school functions. 
But, you know, those darn gasoline cars sure are dirty and hard to crank up. That's right. I mean, because you literally had to hand crank. Yeah, and you don't want to rip your arm out of the socket or whatever. Of course not. But, you know, this was part of, and we'll get into marketing and advertising and that kind of stuff in a minute, but, like, this is part of the whole push of, like, oh, women are too dainty to drive. And so then you literally see the development of uh, separate spheres in driving, too, because we have the development of electric cars. Blow my mind, Kristen. I did not realize that we had electric cars back then. Yeah, and a lot of the research we're going to talk about was initially conducted by a woman named Virginia Sharp, who is an expert in women's roles in automobile history. And she talks about how the electric car was clearly marketed to women. Once they were trying to figure out where their foothold would be in the market, they realized, huh, this car doesn't have to be hand cranked. It's quieter. It can't go as far mm-hmm. as a gasoline car. What better like automotive option for women could there be? Right. And so manufacturers associate the comfort and convenience and aesthetic appeal with women linking them to the electric cars, while things like power and range and economy, those gas cars, which were so powerful and noisy, they were faster, they had greater range, and they had to be cranked. All of that was associated with men. Yeah. In 1908, in fact, the year that Henry Ford introduced the Model T, he also bought his wife, Clara, a lady-appropriate electric car. Yeah, and she would use it for short trips around town, but usually when the driving had to be done, it was all Henry behind the wheel and she was riding shotgun. But so we have magazines at the time, which are, which are talking about this automotive trend. Cars are so fancy. Um, but they describe electric vehicles as being perfectly suited to the needs of women. We have the very patronizing author, C.H. Claudie, who is talking about electric cars. And he said that they have a circumscribed radius. What a delight it is to have a machine which she can run herself with no loss of dignity for making calls for shopping for a pleasure ride and for for paying back of small social debt. Well, this is also sort of educating the public that it's okay to for women to drive mm-hmm. cars because it can serve this domestic function right. of getting her from here to there to either um, there was one advertisement, for instance, talking about how, well, you know, a wife can go drive to a farm and pick up fresh produce for her family or she can safely drive little Johnny to school and back, you know, but it's always within that, as Claudie calls it, the circumscribed radius. Yeah. And so leading up to World War One, we do have more and more articles on electric vehicles or on women drivers. And these features show photographs of women driving, charging and, and maintaining their electric cars, sort of driving home, <laughs> sort of driving home that whole division. Electric, clean, quiet cars are for women. The noisier cars are for men. And that's reflected also in an ad for the Detroit Electric, which was the last word in luxury and beauty as well as efficiency. They talk about how to the well-bred woman, the Detroit Electric has a particular appeal. In it, she can preserve her toilet immaculate, her coiffure intact. She can drive it with all desired privacy, yet safely, in constant touch with the traffic conditions all about her. So this is reminiscent, too, of when we've talked about how revolutionary the bicycle was 
for women in transportation, but there were still those concerns about uh, women showing ankle mm-hmm. or uh, riding around unchaperoned. And you see a similar kind of like patronizing fear of, okay, well, well, women have left the house. We can't stop them now. <laughs> so let's just figure out this etiquette and rules for how you can still be ladylike right. and also be behind the wheel of the car. And what's interesting, though, is you see the drop off in the electric car because it was more expensive than mm-hmm. a gasoline car and clearly really never caught on partially because of that, because they could never really make them to scale in the same way uh, like Ford, for instance, could make these cheaper Model T's. And in the 1920s, they start having the gasoline car companies have to start targeting women because everybody's getting a car and they're like, well, you know, what would make things better for us. Two cars. Families need to have two cars. Mm -hmm. And so as they start indoctrinating the public to, well, you you don't need just one. You need two. And listen, women, gasoline cars are still going to be okay because you can drive the kids in them. It's always that. The advertising is always you can take the kids out to to the country to Mm -hmm. go butterfly catching or something. You'll be a better mother if you can drive your kids to school. Yeah, you will be a better wife and a better mother. With a car. It's fascinating mm-hmm. the kind of the, the, the way that they advertise cars to women. Right. But so, I mean, speaking of electric cars with with having such a circ- circumscribed radius, as Claudia said, there were some pretty fancy ladies out there motoring around on long distances and writing about them. Um, during World War One, for instance, you have young women of means, many of whom were graduates of Vassar and Wellesley, who were trained as nurses, had their fancy cars shipped to Europe. It was kind of like an adventure travel experience. They ended up volunteering as nurses and driving injured soldiers to military hospitals. And there were also books that were starting to pop up about accounts of these female road trips. For instance, in 1908, Edith Wharton, yes, that Edith Wharton, wrote one of the earliest travel books about an auto journey called A Motor Flight Through France. And in 1916, we have the first commercially successful book published by Emily Post, later etiquette expert, and it was an account of her cross-country journey in a car. And in the 1920s, the book Travels with Zenobia, Zenobia, by the way, was the name of a car. Um, it provided a detailed account of a trip by two American women from Paris to Albania in a model Ford. And one of the authors was daughter of Little House in the Prairie author, Laura Ingalls Wilder. But these kinds of tales of women driving and also women were competing every now and then in cross-country road trips, sometimes beating men and like making a name for themselves and making all these headlines because it was revolutionary for women to be driving. But even though you have the new woman emerging at the same time who is a bit more feminist and a bit more liberated, it was kind of terrifying for more conservative folks at the time who did not want to see women like, ironically, Emily Post driving all around. I know how scandalous. Uh, so by the 1920s and 30s, as Kristen said, it was becoming more accepted that women, look, women are going to have to use the freaking car, okay? Uh, electric cars just aren't cutting it. We're, we're going to have to drive kids to school and that's going to have to be okay. But that is sort of the image that was pushed by both conservatives and advertisers as part of like the car still being part of your domestic sphere. Um, and while society was changing and that was terrifying for a lot of people, 
we could still maybe we can still use this scary new technology to to keep women in their place. Yeah. When I first started reading about the history of women in cars, I expected to see a trend in this earliest advertising of selling cars to women on the basis of that kind of new woman. Hey, ladies, here's the keys to your liberation. But no, it was completely the opposite. The heads of these companies and advertisers at the time were saying, no, 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 no. We need to, we need to keep the status quo. Right. But still sell these cars. And it was all too, like, largely a product of suburbanization. Right. Like they, they were kind of painted into a corner of like, well, women, you gotta drive. Yeah. But so all of this, uh, strategery that's going on in this time from conservative society members and from advertisers, Part of the strategy was to paint women as completely incompetent when it comes to cars, whether knowing anything about them, understanding how they work. Um, it was sort of assumed that women were only interested in the style or in the color or how it would match their dress or their nail polish or something. And it's not to say that was true or to say that it was untrue in some cases, but just that that was the image that was pushed by people who did not want women to be out driving around independent. Yeah, even though even at this time in the 1920s, women were making 41% of household car buying decisions. Mm -hmm. So they definitely had a voice in what cars would be bought. But over and over again, you have this, you know, reiteration that women basically just want cars with interiors to match their coats. Mm-hmm. He wrote ridiculous things like, uh, quote, boys and men on the average greatly exceed women and girls in the ability to manipulate mechanical contrivances. And as a result, women shrink from acting when facing a crisis, work by fits and starts when under high pressure and work well consistently only when there is no pressure. He describes women as being overcautious, making poorer drivers than men. He says they cause more accidents. And then he goes so far as to say that, Owing to their inferior motor outlets, i.e. like their motor skills, not motor car, but like their brains, women succeed best in relatively simple motor activities such as sweeping, washing and ironing. I would just like to say that I'm horrible at ironing (laughs) and only fair at sweeping. So Walter Pitkin... Put that in your pipe. That's right. (laughs) Um, Well, and it wasn't just guys like Pitkin who were saying this. There was also a woman named Alice Hamilton who was writing in the late 1920s, uh, early 1930s, describing for the public what women really think about when car shopping. One uh, choice quote was, she considers how her foot, ankle, and calf will look as she steps smartly upon the running board. Does this fawn gray upholstery go with most of her clothes? Alice. I know. Which I say, Alice. Come on. Well, okay, let's, let's counter that Alice with automobile adventurous Alice Hewler Ramsey, who, to whom I hope I am related. I have Ramseys in my family. It would be fantastic if she and I were relatives. Anyway. She became famous by driving across country with three women passengers in a Maxwell Briscoe Model AA. It's a gasoline car, not an electric car. And it was part of a promotion to sell the car. It was it was more affordable than other models. And so it was kind of a promotional thing. But Alice didn't this Alice, the cool Alice, didn't stop there. She actually soon after was defeating men in races at county fairs, at state fairs. And she ended up getting herself banned from race car driver associations. Because she was too good. She's too good. That's hilarious. Yeah, there was really no empirical data whatsoever to back up 
these claims that women were awful drivers. And mm-hmm. clearly, like the cool Alice proved, women could be perfectly capable. Um, but it's just this message that we've been told over and over again. Women are horrible drivers and they don't care anything about mechanics or how, you know, specs, how a car actually runs. We just want something apparently that looks pretty. But there was one segment of the population that was a bit of an exception to these rules uh, that kind of dodge these stereotypes that Virginia Chef talks about, uh, which were farm girls, mm-hmm. women who are out in the country who perhaps weren't as impacted by this mass suburbanization, were taught to drive cars in the same way that their brothers would have been. Sure, because all of a sudden now, you know, so you're on a farm, you're out in the rural country, far away from cities, city centers, but all of a sudden now you've got a car or a truck that you can load up with all of your goods and take to take to the market instead of a horse-drawn buggy or whatever you were using before. Yeah. So it, you know, it made sense. You only had a certain number of people working on your farm. You had to make good use of everybody. And so this lays the foundation for where these car stereotypes about women come into play from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And today we still see ripple effects of that when you look at who does the driving. So today, more women than men have driver's licenses, at least in the United States. Um, and this is probably a little bit due to women. There being a few more women on the planet mm-hmm. than men. Um, but according to the University of Michigan's Transportation Research Unit, the study took place between 1995 and 2010. The share of teens and young adults of both sexes with driver's licenses is declining, but the decline is actually greatest among Young men. Yeah. So for men ages 25 to 29 with licenses, that that dipped 10.6 percent. But among women of the same age group, that only declined 4.7 percent. So it's it's like a war of attrition, whatever. But there this has serious implications for the industry because women and men are not shopping for the same cars necessarily. Women are more likely than men to purchase smaller, safer and more fuel efficient vehicles. We're also more likely to drive less and to have a lower fatality rate per distance driven. Which is hilarious because you and I both drive compact hatchbacks that are extremely safe. That's right. Yeah, we totally fit into that we do. mold. And this has been part of a longer trend in terms of women essentially catching up to men in the number of drivers out on the road and now eclipsing them. And some theories behind the decline, particularly of young male license holders um, are things like technology, making face-to-face cl- connections less important, the erosion of the quote-unquote car fetish society, and also economic troubles. Kids these days are less likely to have an income large enough to be able to afford to buy a car. Yeah, to buy a car or to afford auto insurance. Side note, I love that you said kids these days. Kids these days, I know, and a sign that I think I just sprouted four <laughs> new gray hairs when I said that. Um, but the number of young people um, working has declined, so they're making less money. But the number of young men ages 18 to 34 living at home has surged. So maybe that's also a reason that fewer men are holding licenses and driving cars. Maybe it's because mom is still driving them. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's more guys than than young women who are also returning home, even Mm -hmm. though, I mean, it is more of a millennial trend being like the boomerang kids who leave and then come back. But I also think, Caroline, I have a pet theory as well, that cars for people our age and younger 
just might not be seen as as much of a necessity because rather than the suburbanization of the baby boom generation, we're far more about urbanization, public transit. Like, it's cool to take the train when Mm -hmm. you can. Yeah, I miss it. I miss it, too. I moved and can no longer. Well, and we also, I'm sure, have plenty of listeners who prefer to bike places as well. Yeah. But even though in raw numbers, more women have driver's licenses in their wallets, when a guy and a woman get in the car together there is a good chance that he is going to drive. And that's the same, the same thing for my boyfriend and me. We ride around, he's probably driving. So we're going to look into this persistent pattern of men being the drivers when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to the show. So Kristen was just telling us before the break about how when she's in the car with her boyfriend, he's more likely to drive. I feel like when I'm in the car with my boyfriend, um, he would laugh if we even started talking about this because I'm such a control freak, especially like I know Atlanta better than he does. I'm more of an aggressive driver than he is. And I think you kind of have to be to drive in Atlanta. And so all of those factors combined mean that I normally drive more. See, I prefer to be driven around because it gives me a little bit of me time. <laughs> That's when I hop on my smartphone. Uh-huh. And check my email, get on Twitter, Instagram. It, it, it seriously feels like extra time in my day. Hmm. So it is, it's purely selfish on my part. See, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the opposite. Like driving means I can't do anything else. Oh yeah. So it's like I, I have to focus on driving and, but I do yell. I'm, I'm kind of a road ragey type of person. Oh, I'm super road ragey. I enjoy driving. I do. And I drive myself around a lot. And, oh man. Yeah. It's, um, not a good idea for small children to be in a car <laughs> with me because they might hear some, some R-rated language, Caroline. Well, we'll we're just a couple of show fuses. That's right. We're just show f- That should be our new vanity plates. <laughs> show fuses. Um, so what is up though with, This gender gap, this like kind of fascinating gender gap in car driving. And oh, I I should mention too, um, anecdotally, I was talking to Scott Benjamin, who hosts uh, the How Stuff Works podcast, Car Stuff, before we came in the studio and mentioned that, hey, we're going to talk about women and driving. And we kind of parted ways. And a few minutes later, he came back by my desk and said, Kristen, I just realized that in the 15 years of being married to my wife, he's like, I can probably count on one hand the number of times we've driven. And he had never thought about it before. He's like, we've even taken cross-country road trips before. I'll drive the whole way. And I have... He's Is like, it because not- he prefers it or... It's just kind of how it's always been done. Hmm. And when I uh, did a Stuff Mom Never Told You video on why men drive more, just because I was digging into the research for this episode, and anecdotally... It seemed like a lot of people, it wasn't necessarily men always driving, but in couples, there was always a driver. One person tended to drive more often than the other person. You're pointing at yourself. Uh, yeah. There were women, though, who the, who tweeted us who were like, I drive. I totally drive. It's all me. So I think it just might be one of those couple things where someone ends up doing it more often. Yeah. Kind of like the dishwasher. Right. That's me. I hate the dishwasher. 
Um, but anyway, not that I hate you. I realize that that sounded <laughs> no, like no, Kristen's I, the dishwasher and I hate her. <laughs> if you want to drive me around, I'll load the dishes. How okay. about that? All right. Um, so sociologist Pepper Schwartz was looking at that. Pepper Schwartz, by the way, sounds like a Marvel Comics name. She does. Um, even in self-described feminist households, men are more likely to drive when couples ride together. And this is confirmed by several studies, one of which is the American Time Use Survey that found women do indeed spend a disproportionate share of their in-car time as passengers, 29%. This is more than twice the share of men who spend only 14% of their time as passengers. And similarly, um, and this information, by the way, was coming from the Freakonomics blog because they did a couple of uh, posts on this looking at, at why men tend to drive more often. And they also cited the 2001 National Household Transportation Survey which found that when you have household members sharing a car, men are three times likelier to be the driver as opposed to the passenger. And for women, it's the reverse. When traveling with a household member, we're about twice as likely to be the passenger as opposed to the driver. And for uh, on, on that blog, they solicited reader comments as well, just to get a little anecdotal um, you know, feedback on why that might be. And overwhelmingly, the most common answer as to why the men tended to drive more often in their households were women saying, I just ask him to. It's easier. It's just, you know, we don't have to talk about it. He drives. There's no backseat driving. It gives me a little me time. And a lot of it's a lot of times just kind of it's almost like waving the white flag. Just like, just do it. You, you do that. Yeah, I think my dad always drives when it's the two of them. I've never seen my mother drive if my dad's in the car. Yeah, when um, I actually talked to my boyfriend about this, and he pointed out that uh, kind of a similar pattern with his parents, too, and suggested that it's sort of that old school chivalry mm-hmm. of a lady shouldn't drive herself around. And I mean, because my dad, oh, my dad totally drives. I would not want to be in the car if my mom was driving and my dad was riding because it would just be too stressful. <laughs> Oof. Lots of backseat driving. So much backseat driving. Well, I mean, even in professional circles, the driving still skews male. We looked at a recent Bureau of Labor Statistics report that showed us that the overarching category of transportation and material moving occupations is just 15.5% women. The area where women are most represented is among bus drivers, 45.7% of whom are women. Yeah, but then if you look at taxi drivers and chauffeurs, not chauffeuses, only just under 15% are women and fewer than 5% of what are categorized as driver slash sales workers. Basically, the people driving the big rigs down the highway are women. And um, one more anecdote. I know I'm being very anecdotal today, but I was recently in a cab with a female driver and I had such a like stuff mom never told you moment when I got in and was really pumped to see yeah. like a woman in the front seat. And I wanted to ask her questions, but then I was like, I don't want to be that person who because I'm sure she gets this all the time, you know, like, oh, you're a woman driving a taxi. But I will say I gave her an extra big tip because <laughs> not only was it a woman driver, she turned on the car, Caroline, and uh, Madonna came on. I was just <laughs> like, this is amazing. This is this is fun. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm just picturing like this movie montage in my head of you guys like driving around in the sunshine, listening to Madonna. The thing is, there was that montage going on in my head throughout that cab ride. Um, I don't... It, 
I just kept quiet because I was like, I'm going to freak this woman out if I say anything right now. Come out of the gate too enthusiastic. Yeah. But so as far as men driving more and that whole stereotypical association we have of men preferring cars, cars are a man thing. A lot of people have questioned whether biology has something to do with it. Yeah, for instance, there was a study at Canada's John Molson School of Business at Concordia University in Montreal, which measured the testosterone of men while driving Porsches and driving Camrys. And they had the men drive on both a crowded street with lots of ladies on the sidewalk who would see them driving either a Camry Womp womp or a Porsche. Ooh la la. And they found that men's levels of testosterone went up, surprise, surprise, when they were driving a Porsche. But it was regardless of whether they were driving around women or not. Mm-hmm. It was they, they thought that there was something to do with that status symbol being in a Porsche because societally, because of our associations with cars, masculinity, sex, Cars are sort of a modern form of sexual signaling, saying, hey, I'm driving this Porsche, so it means I got a lot of money. This made me think of when I was in traffic the other day waiting to turn, and a guy turned in front of me in, like, some little boxy, expensive sports car, and he, like, like, revved that engine and drove away. It was so loud, and I was like, oh, I wonder if he's sexually signaling anyone. It's probably. I think he was probably sexually signaling all of Atlanta with that. Um, but the thing is, with this study, Caroline, they did not include women. I wonder if our levels of testosterone would similarly go up yeah. if we were driving a Porsche around. Yeah, or just like something sporty. I know, because this is, this is, I'm ridiculous. But, um, so I used to drive Jeeps. I drove a Jeep forever and I ever and ever. Jeep. Yeah, and I just I switched recently to a small little compact car, but it has a lot of giddy up. And I love being able to like get around people and accelerate quickly and all that stuff. And it is. I mean, there is an exhilarating feeling of like I can get out of this traffic mess. Yeah. And, ex- you know, get past all these people. Whereas with my Jeep, it's like, OK, I'll just sit here. So, yeah, I, I, come on. I, I would love to see this study replicated with women, although they'd have to figure out the conditions on the street. Like who would they put on the side of the street instead of women? Would it have to be like muscly men, Ryan Gosling? I think it could still be women because it would hmm. still I would suspect that there would still be a surge in testosterone because it wouldn't be as strong of a thing of, uh, you know, as strong of a sex signaling effect, probably for a woman to pull up next to a guy. In a, you know, in a convertible and be like, hey, guy, you want to get in my car for a ride? He'd be like, whoa, don't emasculate me. And whereas, you know, for women, I think it would just be like just the joy of, you know, kind of having that like power symbol. Or, yeah, car. maybe maybe they're signaling to the other woman that they are the alpha female. Exactly. Yeah. And it might we might actually have more of a surge of testosterone driving past women than men. Yeah. No, that's actually my, my vanity plate is alpha. <laughs> That's not true. I don't. Vanity plates are really stupid. Um, and Vice did take an evolutionary biology look at it, questioning whether this was sexual signaling. But the writer was like, yeah, it's probably just more of the thrill, like we're saying. Like, it's probably just the the revving of the engine, the speeding up, the getting out of traffic. And it doesn't hurt to be like, hey, look how powerful my expensive car is. Well, I mean, I do think that there are so many pop cultural stereotypes, too, when it comes to men, women, dating, and the, um, kind of all the, you've probably heard hackneyed jokes about, you know, a girl's excited about going on a date with this really hot guy, 
And then he pulls up in a insert kind of junky car. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no. Well, is he hot enough? Then okay. And so I do think that there is something to that whole sex signaling kind of thing. But I will also say this, that if it's so obvious that a guy is driving a car because he thinks it's sexy, it's Mm -hmm. a total turn off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And which only which only also for probably some men listening confirms that that women are terribly confusing. (laughs) Oh, womp, womp, womp. Well, so, I mean, do we have an answer as to as to who? The better driver is? Is there science there? Oh, my gosh, Caroline. When it comes to the question of who is a better driver, because we've talked about all of these stereotypes of women being terrible drivers, mm-hmm. basically rooted in, you know, Victorian era sexism. If you look at research on who are who's the better driver, men or women, it's the results are totally mixed. It depends on a million different things mm-hmm. and who you ask and what you're looking at, whether you're looking at insurance rates or accidents or pedestrian run-ins. Yeah, well, University of Michigan researchers Michael Sivak and Brandon Shettle looked at police reports of two vehicle traffic a- accidents across the U.S. from 1988 to 2007, so quite a large sample. And they found that a woman is far more likely to crash into another woman than into a man, but a man is less likely than expected to crash into another man. So, yeah, crash, basically crashes involving two female drivers were overrepresented based on what their expectations of the results were. They expected it to be, um, a little more even because, you know, men drive more as, uh, you know, when two people are in a car and they're of opposite sexes, you know, men drive more. So they expected men to be involved in more accidents, but they found that based on their expectations, women were overrepresented in two vehicle car accidents. And similarly, there was a study out of Johns Hopkins, which found that women were involved in slightly more crashes than men, but the difference was not all that great. They said that it wasn't statistically significant, but age might be a more important predictor of how crash prone you are compared to gender, especially for teenage boys, basically the most dangerous drivers on the road are teenage boys because they start off pretty badly having about 20% more crashes per mile driven compared to teenage girls. I got into a wreck almost immediately after getting my driver's license. How scary. <laughs> it was it was stupid. It was in standstill traffic, so you can imagine. <laughs> Did you hit a, a female driver? No, male. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was he was a jerk though. Uh, which I don't blame him. Um and the whole age thing was confirmed in a Purdue University study that found that both older men and women are much more likely to die from traffic injuries than younger people regardless of gender. But then again, to shake things up a little bit more, women do think that they are better drivers than men. I think that's the prevailing stereotype, that we are overall safer drivers Mm -hmm. because uh, a lot of times our insurance rates are slightly lower, possibly because men are more likely to die behind the Mm -hmm. wheel than women are, at least according to U.S. traffic data. And also, for instance, there was some research done on uh, traffic in New York City and found that 80% of all crashes in a five-year period in which pedestrians were seriously injured or killed involved men who were driving. So again, you know, that might be because men are driving more. Men do tend to have longer commutes than women do. Um, but 
Yeah. It really depends. It depends. Insurance company. Yeah. Like you said, insurance companies sure do think that women are better drivers. Yeah. But it might also be because of the commute factors. Mm-hmm. Um, fewer fatalities, fewer pedestrians hit possibly. But I think that it's not, it's one of those questions that is there really a point in spending so much, spinning our wheels, Caroline, spending so much time like pondering this? Because if you, it's such a pervasive question on the internet. If you look, just Google who's better driver, you get a million different, you know, results from that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's a question that, that people ask, but I think personally, like in, in doing this research, the far more interesting aspect of this discussion is where these stereotypes came from and why they even popped out to begin with. You know, the separate spheres, the conservative segment of society being afraid of women venturing out of the home. And so they have to do what they can to be like patronizing jerks about it. Yeah. Well, and it's like, what is it that we're ultimately really, really asking when we're asking who's the better driver. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's so tied up with the roots of those negative stereotypes of kind of fears about gender and norms being violated and movements away from the home, perhaps, and not valuing domesticity as much as we used to. All of those different things that sort of underlie this question. Yeah. So curious now to hear from listeners, we have covered a lot of ground, Mm -hmm. many miles. So many miles driven in this journey, this podcast journey. Yes. So if you want to let us know who tends to be the driver, are you a woman driver, proud of your driving skills? Do you tend to be the driver in your household? What do you think? Momstuffdiscovery.com is where you can email us. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast or send us a message on Facebook And we have a couple of messages to share with you right now about one stereotype-breaking lady, Beyonce Knowles. I have a letter here from Caitlin, subject line, Mother Knowles Best. Get it, Beyonce? Yeah, okay. This year, I started both listening to your podcast, Which Rules? Thanks, Caitlin. And listening to Beyonce's music. I love it. She empowers women and girls, encouraging them to strive toward their goals and demand respect and equality while doing it. You described it perfectly by calling her a modern feminist. It's true she's not the classic 20th century feminist trope who dresses conservatively or shuns societal standards of beauty because her wardrobe is ultimately her choice. Her actions are also her choice. By this, I mean the way she decides to present herself and dances in videos or concerts. Wearing the clothes she does and dancing the way she does is telling women to be comfortable with our bodies and sexuality so we can just have fun without worrying about what society has to say. Feminism is all about choice and equality, so if Beyonce expresses her feminism through dance or clothes, she's free to do it. Beyonce is killing it at the overwhelming balancing act of being a tenacious businesswoman, loving wife, and devoted mother, all while trying her best to promote feminism in an industry where that word is doomed. I agree that there are no perfect feminists, but Beyonce comes pretty close. So thank you for your input, Caitlin. Well, and I've got a letter here from Renee, and she had lots of thoughts on the Beyonce episode, she writes, I couldn't help but feel angry at all these women calling her out for not being a proper feminist. I'll say straight up that I don't really know much about Beyonce, but that is more the debate on what feminism should be that gets me all cranky pants. 
I think for starters, we as women should take a step back and look at the objectification of men that we all partake in all the time. You yourselves had a good old verbal perv at Jay-Z in the podcast. If you were two men talking about a woman, I'm sure you would have had angry feminists after you. So why is it okay for men to get all shirtless, showing their nipples, stomach muscles, and flashing their sexuality on screen or in public, but not Beyonce or Madonna? And why are we allowed to talk about their bodies as objects, yet when the shoe is on the other foot, men are torn to shreds? Isn't this just slut-shaming? I find that it is a question less of feminism than outdated profiling and judgment that makes sex a thing that is taboo, less than human, less than normal, which it is not. And why are we not speaking of Lady Gaga this way? She seems to think she is some brand of feminist. Also, is it because she's weird and not so mainstream form of pretty? And also, why is it okay for Dolly Parton with her big boobs modeled after the image of a prostitute to be labeled feminist, yet Beyonce is not? Although, interjection, neither Lady Gaga nor Dolly Parton have ever called themselves a feminist. Um, but going back to the letter, she says, It appears that women don't require men to suppress them because they're doing a great job of it themselves. I could go on and on and on. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it, uh, that is the disheartening part of the conversation, you know, which you brought up, Caroline, is how it's frustrating to see this like regurgitation of like your your feminism isn't OK, mm-hmm. but my feminism is OK. And this is how you should do your feminism. Yeah. And it doesn't help anybody. Nope. at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Renee, for those observations. And for everybody who's written in, momstuffatdiscovery.com is where you can send us your letters. You can also find us all over social medias, all of which you can find in addition to our blogs, podcasts, and videos over at stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 